beloved in Jesus name amen can I just start with the question about that song that we sang just before this last one about mercy rewrote my life how many of you can attest that mercy rewrote my life amen because it's like if there was no God's mercy if there was no God's grace we could have been condemned. Some of us, if you were just to tell people sitting next to you the kind of person that you were before you came to the Lord, they probably would move away a bit from you. But mercy rewrote your life. Amen? Mercy rewrote my life. I've got a new chapter now in Christ. And that is something very precious that we don't always acknowledge and appreciate. The fact that the grace of God has made you who you are today, his mercy has rewritten your life. You've got a new lease in life. It's such a blessing. So as we go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 9, I want to link that mercy with God's grace. Because... <clears throat> When you say God is merciful, you are saying, I should have been punished. But he says, I won't punish you because I love you. You are not given in mercy, you are denied the punishment you rightfully deserve. That is mercy. In other words, when people say, we know she did this. We know she was this kind of a person. She was a prostitute. He was a murderer. He did all these things. And mercy comes and say, we are starting a new chapter. Amen. 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 Mercy indeed rewrote our lives. So there is nobody who can give an excuse to say, I'm so evil. I'm so bad that God will not accept me. Because mercy can rewrite your life. You can start a new chapter with Christ. It doesn't matter the kind of person you've been. Some of the things that you have done, people don't even know. It's your own secret. But mercy wrote our lives. He gave us a new chapter. The other side of that coin called mercy is grace. Okay? So I said in mercy, it's when God denies you the punishment you rightfully deserve because he loves you. In grace, there are so many things that you don't deserve. You actually deserve punishment. But then mercy says she doesn't get it. Now for things that you don't deserve, grace says because God loves you so much, all these good things that you don't deserve, you are going to be given. So grace says you will get what you don't deserve, unmerited favor. And that's how we got saved. That's how we got born again. So if we go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 9, I'll start in the NIV. It says, but because of his great love for us, can we all say God loved us so much? God loved us so much. It says because of his great love for us. God who is rich in mercy. Do you see that word? So you will see here the Bible interchanges the two words mercy and grace. Because it says God because of his love, he bestowed his mercy on us. In other words, he said, you won't be punished 
Because I love you so much. Says, who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. So, in mercy, I'm given another chance. And grace says, now you can be ushered in and become a child of God. And uh, some of us, it has to be God's grace that has brought us where we are today. Now it says, and God raised up us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. I want you to look closely at this verse. It doesn't say, and God will raise us up in Christ and sit us with Christ. How is it phrased in past tense? It says, and God raised us up with Christ. So when Christ was risen from the dead, those of us who have accepted Christ, it's like we were given a new lease of life. So he rose us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. That's why I can command things in the spiritual realm and they happen in the natural because I'm seated in heavenly places with Jesus. Amen. So the authority that you have as a child of God is not limited only to this world. That's why I can talk to sickness in your body. I command it to go and it leaves you. Amen. That's why I can say by the blood of Jesus I'm covered, I'm protected under the blood of Jesus and the enemy cannot destroy my life. Amen. There are a lot of disasters and calamities happening all over. The Bible says he delivers me from the snare of the fowler. So when the enemy is putting all those traps to catch you, because your life is hid with Christ in the heavenly realms, the enemy always comes out disappointed because he cannot catch you. Because of God's grace and God's mercy. It says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no, no one can boast. I want you to understand this. It says we were saved by grace through faith. So the only part I played was believing. It was my faith. And then I could accept that grace. So the grace is available for all of us and his mercy is available for all of us but you need faith to receive that. So when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I used my faith but I didn't do anything more than that. You hear sometimes people saying, when you say, come to the Lord, accept Jesus, they say to you, I'm so evil, I want to first stop smoking, I want to first stop drinking, I want to first stop uh, running around with ladies and whatever. Mercy can rewrite your life. Amen. You just believe with your heart that Jesus has done it for me. Only your faith is required in this. It says it's not because of works. Otherwise anybody can boast about it. You know there are some people who say, I'm just a good person. I don't drink. I don't smoke. Even if I drink, I drink in my own home and get drunk there and I don't trouble anybody. I'm such a good person. It says it's not because of your works. 
It is by his grace. So you accept Jesus in whatever state that you are in. Then he transforms you and makes you a new creation in Christ. Amen? And then it says it is through faith, not by your works. So go with me to Romans 4.16, King James Version. Romans 4.16. Then after that I'll read another one and then give you the title for the day. Romans 4.16 says in King James Version, KJV. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. Are you seeing again faith and grace? In other words, God comes with his mercy and his grace. You bring your faith and believe. Amen. All that you have to do is to believe. So we accept Jesus by believing without doing anything. But in the same way, after you have accepted Jesus, now you use your faith to receive anything that you need from the Lord. The same grace that has ushered you into the kingdom is the same grace wherewith all God wants to give you everything that pertains to life and to godliness. God knows that we have needs in this world. God knows that we need to be protected in this world. God knows that we've got troubles in this world. But all those things, he says, I'm with you. Even when you go through the fires, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. So it means it doesn't matter in what state you are in. You can take advantage of the same grace and of the same mercy. And use your faith. He says, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only to that which is of the law, but to that which is of faith, of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Are you getting that? So today I want us to talk about grow in grace. Amen? So we need to start understanding grace, that we grow in that grace, and we continue to get everything that God has in store for us. How often do you hear people saying, Ah, me. Uh, you see, uh, we don't deserve these things. A person like me, like Mephibosheth. You remember Mephibosheth when, <laughs> when David said, who of Saul's sons are here that I want to bless them? They said there is Mephibosheth. He was lame. And then when he was called, he said, me, a dead dog like me. By the way, some of you, you think you are nothing. Because people told you that and you believed that. Do you think God can create nothing? No, you are somebody. You are precious in God's eyes. So it means, because of his grace, I am who I am today. And with grace, I said you get things you don't deserve. And with grace, even when you go out here, go out expecting favor, man. I like saying this thing where people always say, you never know. You say, I may just go out here, get knocked by the car. I may just go out here and this and this. What is that? You've forgotten grace. You've forgotten mercy. Grace says, I may just go out here and just meet somebody who last saw me long, long ago and now he just blesses me with money. I may just go out here and then just hear this and this and this to my favor, to my advantage. That's when you are growing in God's grace. Going out there expecting to receive from God all the time. And by the way, even when you are here, God is working behind the scene. Some of the things you don't do any effort, God is working it himself. So go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. 
chapter 9, verse 11 in NLT, New Living Translation. I want to show you that some of us, we are where we are today, not because of our own making, not because of our works. Some of you say, I studied hard for this degree. I worked hard for this job. I did this, it's I, I, I. Can we start learning to say it is by the grace of God that I am where I am today? There are many other people who studied hard like you, who today in their minds things are not working well. So it means it's not just what you did. It's that the Lord has been gracious to you. The Lord has been merciful to you. So it means in any equation, I will never leave out Jesus. I will never leave out the Jesus factor. Mr. Netanyahu, I will never leave out the Jesus factor like we said the other time. So for me, even if I go to a place and things were not working well, I expect things to work because I'm there. Yes, I'm favored. You ask me, how are you, pastor? I'm blessed and highly favored. When some of you say, hey, life is tough, pastor. Life is tough. I speak what God says about me. And surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Because I speak those things, God confirms it in my life. Look at this. Ecclesiastes 9.11. Look at this. This is interesting. NLT. Now you will see the difference between grace and works. It says, I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. Is that true? The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry. And the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Some are very much educated, skillful. But a lot of overdrafts. And in a lot of negative. Which means it's really these things, it's beyond us. He says the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. Have you noticed that? <laughs> By the way, sin doesn't respect your status or your level of education. You find a person who's well educated, a person who... Maybe it's a good person, a person with a status in the community. But the things they do, then you realize, sin doesn't respect your status. So he says, and those who are educated don't always live successful life. Now he says, it is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. That last portion, I want to, I beg to differ with the, the preacher. He did not live in the new covenant. He did not understand grace. So for him, he was surprised. There are some people where things just work out for them. I guess they were just at the right place at the right time. Haven't you heard people saying that sometimes? They say, you are just, you are so lucky, my sister. My brother, you are so lucky. You were just at the right place at the right time. Now, how do I get to the right place at the right time? It means I have to be favored. So what the world calls luck. You know when you go for exams or anything, people say, good luck. Hmm? We wish you good luck. And when you succeed, you were so lucky. 
Some of us, we tried and we failed. What do I say? It is by grace that I got what I got. And with grace, you see, unlike with luck, with luck, it's a chance. Like here it says, it's, bigger, it's a chance of being at the right place at the right time. So it means it can't always work. That's luck. But grace says, I know how to receive from God and my God will keep on doing it again and again and again and again. Amen. And it means I know how to get things from the Lord. Sometimes without a lot of labor. Do you know that sometimes we like laboring a lot to get things done? And sometimes some of you are believing God for something. Can I just warn you? When you are believing God, try to use faith by just believing God and not try to help God. You know that there are times sometimes when you get tempted to help God. You are believing God for something and then maybe option B or C, just in case God doesn't come through. Is that faith? You are taking a chance. Yeah, you're taking a chance. Because you can't go to God. Imagine if somebody comes to you and say, I'm trusting you, but in case you don't do it, I've got other plans. Because God knows what your heart is saying, isn't it? Okay? I want to show you this. Let's go to the book of Galatians chapter 4. Verse 22 and 23. I want to show you something that's very crucial. This is powerful because I said I want to warn you. Do you know that today we've got a problem in the Middle East of always the fights between the Palestinians, the Israelites, and all that, and you know that problem, and people can't solve it. Some of us, we thought maybe the late former state president, Nelson Mandela, because he was well-renowned and in many places, we thought maybe you could solve that. But nobody is able to solve it. But do you know where it started? Hmm? Okay. Look at this, Galatians 2. You will hear now, Galatians 2. It says, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. It's Galatians 4, 22 and 23 NLT. The scripture says, Abraham had two sons. Can we all say Abraham had two sons? Do you know who are those sons? Sunday school, who are the sons of Abraham? One was Isaac. The other one was Ishmael. Now let's hear. One from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. So now we can see it's about Ishmael and Isaac. Now listen to the following. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Did you hear that? Yeah. It tells us how Ishmael was born. It says, the son of a slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promises. So, <laughs> Abraham and, and, and Sarai, they thought, we are old. Sarah has been barren even when she was of a childbearing age. Now she was old. She has passed this time of bearing children. 
So firstly, when she was of a childbearing age, she couldn't bear a child. She was barren. Now, how much less when now you are post-menopause? So now she was even beyond the childbearing age. And God says you are going to have a son. Doesn't make sense, isn't it? I don't know what happened between Abraham and Sarah. But they thought of helping God. This is what this verse is saying. Did, did, did I, didn't you just read? It says, the son of a slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. So they thought, God has promised this. But if you go, Abraham, if you go to my maid, Hagar, we might solve this problem. We're going to have a son. And they did that, you know that. And then Ishmael was born. Ishmael was born. And like I always like telling some of you, did God say, thank you very much, Sarai and Abraham. I was stuck. <laughs> you solved the problem. God came back and said, Abraham, your wife will no longer be called Sarai. She will be called Sarah because she will become the mother of multitude. And you will have a son through your wife, Sarah. Which means God said, even if you try to do that your way, I still want to do it my way. And now this is the second thing. It says, but the son of a freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. So why don't we want the Isaacs? Why are we still begetting the Ishmaels? You know that in your life, it's, 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 uh, it's costly to first have some of your own things. When God's promise comes, now you have, you have begotten some of these things. And you can't kill them. You can't get rid of them. They are there. So your promise has come, but now these things are here. You could have as well waited on God. Am I speaking to somebody? Yes. Amen. It's very easy for us to laugh at Abraham and Sarah and said, but if God promised them, they should have just believed God. But how often do we use human attempt to try and make things work out? How often do we do that? We try to do that often, isn't it? But God doesn't say, you have solved my problem. He still says, let me be God. I like it when God is God. Actually, that word God means the self-existent one, Jehovah, the self-existent one. In other words, God is God without your help. Tell your neighbor, God is God even without your help. He has been God before you were born. So how dare you think he needs your help? That's what he did to Job. You remember when he asked Job? He said, Job, when I created the heavens and the earth, because now you think you are wise, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Because all of a sudden now you want to be my advice. So it means the thing that we must learn when we walk with God, Let's allow him to be God. And we remain his creation. 
Let's allow him to be the master and we remain his servants. Let's allow him to be the father and we remain his children. Amen. That's what we expect from our children. Our children think we can do anything. They think we've got the, all the power. The other time I was telling some of you, if you've got a three-year-old, let's say between three and five years, a three and to five-year-old child thinks that his daddy can beat anybody in the world. How many of you know that? Yeah. If anybody trouble them, they will say, I'll go and tell my daddy, my daddy will sort you out. They don't even know that you are a coward. <laughs> so, so the child thinks you will beat anybody. And when you go to shops, have you seen what the children do? Toys are us. Mommy, I want this toy. Mommy says, no, no, my child. The child is surprised. <laughs> Mommy has the money to buy this, the whole Toys R Us, the whole store. The, this toy. No, my child, let's wait for Christmas time. Uh, this toy. No, just choose one. Just choose one. The child is surprised. Mommy, you can buy the whole shop. They don't know that you don't have some of the things. But imagine you whose father is God. The creator of the heavens and the earth. Shouldn't we be the ones who trust God like our children trust us? Shouldn't we be the one who says, And my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Shouldn't we be the ones who say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not lack. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Unlike being like that, like those children, we try to help God. But when you do things on your own, it will be a struggle. Yesterday, when the preacher was sharing with us, he was also telling us about Peter and toiling the whole night. Okay? The problem with doing things on your own is that beside the problem of bringing your own fulfillment of promises on your own, and that will stick with you. You also expand a lot of energy unnecessarily. You, you, you do everything, and I tried that, I tried it. How often did you hear people say, Pastor, I'm tired. I'm tired, Pastor. I tried everything. I did this and this and this. I tried everything. That's your problem. That's why you're getting tired. You were supposed to say, in you, oh God, I depend. I depend upon you. I depend upon you. And let God be God. Now look at this. Peter, yeah, let's go to 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 18, in the NIV. And I will give you a few examples of how Peter learned grace. Peter walked with Jesus. He saw how Jesus taught them grace. Getting things the grace way. Letting God be God. Now Peter, that's why Peter now was bold to write, 2 Peter 3.18, NIV. This is the, the heading for our title, which I told you, Grey in Grace. It says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to him be glory, both now and forever and ever. Amen. So why would Peter say grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? It means grace has been bestowed upon us, but sometimes we don't take full advantage of that grace. We need to get deeper in this grace. 
Now, this is the example. Luke chapter 5, verse 4 and 6. So, I want to show you when a person is trying to do things on their own way. Try to make things happen on their own way. How much energy you expand for nothing. Luke 5, 4 to 6, NKJV says, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, they had toiled all the night, they wanted to catch the fish and they couldn't get. They were professional fishermen. By the way, they were, let's all say they were professional fishermen. Now, the preacher has already told us that the skillful don't always get things right. So even if you are a professional fisherman, doesn't mean you will always catch the fish. Okay? You need the Jesus factor. So, professional fishermen as they were, they toiled the whole night and caught nothing. They had all the skills of catching fish. So, if they were depending just on their skills, which is what they were doing, they caught nothing. It says, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets, let down your nets for a catch. Now, Jesus says to Peter, I mean, Peter, they toiled all the night. And probably even the spot where Jesus wanted them to put, I don't know if they even tried there. So he says, let down your nets for a catch. And by the way, let me tell you this. So when you catch fish with nets, it's more difficult than when you catch it with hooks. Because if you try to throw your net into the sea, now you're trying to pull back all the time. You are, even if you're not catching fish, you're catching a lot of, you know those things, those, uh, the weeds, the sea weeds, all those long things and that. Now, after you catch nothing, you still need to wash the net. So they washed the nets, and when they were finished, that's why it was difficult, this one. I mean, they caught nothing. They grumblingly washed the nets because they caught nothing. Now Jesus says, throw the nets down back again for a catch. Now Peter re re replied, verse 5, but Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Okay? Now he quickly realized, I just said master. So if the master speaks, we must obey. Amen. So he said, master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. So he was giving facts. He says, nevertheless, I like that. Can't, can't you do that? Next time you say a statement of doubt, a statement of unbelief, say, nevertheless, the Lord has said this and this and this. Next time when you say this and quickly in your heart you realize, ah, but I just said, Master, nevertheless, at your word, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. Can I ask you a question? Do you think from that time going forward, if Peter and his friends were to go fishing, don't you think they would always want to invite Jesus to go with them? Huh? 
That's why some of you have got a testimony here. You know what Jesus can do. You know what God has done for you. So it means every time then in your mind you realize, uh -uh, I can't afford now to try it on my own. I don't want to toil all the night and catch nothing. I want Jesus. I want the Jesus factor in my home. I want the Jesus factor in my studies. I want the Jesus factor in my workplace. I want the Jesus factor even in my finances. Amen. Because sometimes you toil, toil, toil. And if you toil, toil, toil and do things on your own, you know that you can even go around and borrow people a lot of money. And this is the problem with borrowing. I think rather ask. If you don't have money, my congregants, rather ask. Don't borrow money. Because now, the problem is, let's say, you only earn maybe 12,000 rand. Now, you've got a lack and you need, you've used your 12,000. But now you need another 5,000. So you go and borrow 5,000. Brother, I'll give you next month. So when you borrow 5,000 and you earn only 12,000 and you had used the previous month, you used the whole 12,000. Now, when the salary comes, what should go out first? The 5,000. It means now in this month, you no longer have 12,000. You couldn't survive with 12. So it means now, okay, Miss must go and borrow from another one. So, try to borrow from another one. And this and this and this. Then you will have sleepless nights. Amen? So rather, when you don't have, you can ask. Amen? And if they give you, they give you. If they don't give you. It's like me, if we have decided that with my wife long ago. We don't, we don't borrow people money. We give. Amen? Yeah. So don't ever be tempted and come and borrow money from the pastor. He won't give you by borrowing. Okay? You know the problem with borrowing is too. Because when somebody has borrowed, now all of a sudden they don't like, they hate you. Because they know, every time they think you are thinking about your money. And then imagine now you borrowed me who's a pastor. Do you think you would still come to church? You think when the pastor is preaching, now he's talking about me. Because I borrowed. So now the good thing is that no, none of you borrowed me. So I'm free. I'm free to speak like this. It means surely I don't borrow. Because then I would have been feeling, is that brother there or that sister there? I know I didn't borrow any of you money. I didn't lend money to any of you. So therefore, I'm free. And you are free too. Okay? So, let's rather choose to do it the God way. Let's rather be like a three to five year old child who trusts God, who believes God, that it will be, I'm trusting in God. And then, believe for favor. Look at this. John chapter 2 verse 5. It was when they were at the wedding in Canaan and the wine was finished and somebody went to, to the mother of Jesus and says, they no more have wine. The mother of Jesus didn't say, go and borrow. Mm -mm. She said, as long as Jesus is here, it will be all right. So what did she say to them? Mary said, contemporary English version, John 2, 5. Mary then said to the servants, 
Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Can you tell your neighbor, do whatever Jesus tells you to do? Tell your neighbor, even if it doesn't make sense. Yeah. This is grace. When Jesus says give and it will be given back to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over. It doesn't make sense, isn't it? You give. You think when you give, you're losing. But he says give, it will be given back to you. So I just do what he said I must do. Yeah. Amen? And look at this. Paul, uh, Peter did it in Matthew chapter 17. So one time Jesus needed money for tax. Okay? It was Peter actually who the people had come and they were they were taxing even you see when the tax man sometimes is yeah. By the way, you know what the tax man does? Especially if you work for government. They will say you were supposed to get this amount. But we don't trust you. Because we have seen that in church you don't take the tithe to church if you are first given the thing. So we'll take our portion first. They don't ask how many things you owe. They just take their portion. Then they say, this is what is left for you. Okay? So even in those days, even during Jesus' time, they were being taxed. Okay? Now, they needed money for tax. <laughs> and Peter thought, hey, this time we don't have the money. But I know the master has ways of getting money. Not borrowing. He had ways of getting money. So he went to Jesus and the Bible says Jesus anticipated him. Jesus could see that Peter is coming with something that he wants to discuss with him. He said, Peter, people of this world, when they need things, do they go to their children or do they go to the strangers? He said to the strangers. He says, in that case then, sons are free. So, and he said, we need to pay tax. We need to do what is right. Go to the sea. This time he didn't say use the net. That's the other thing with, with, with memorizing how God works. This time he says go to the sea and the first fish you catch. That time they caught a lot of fish which probably they sold. This time he says go to the sea and the first fish you catch will have the money in its mouth. Money for tax for you and I. Why do you think if you were Peter you should have thought? Jesus, I'm not a novice. I'm a professional fisherman. It would make sense if you tell me to go to the sea and did what we did the other time. To cast the net and then catch a lot of fish and go and sell them. Jesus says this time you don't even need to toil and sell. You will find money in the mouth of a fish. How are you going to think? <laughs> Peter, you, uh, Jesus, you need to be realistic. <laughs> Money in the mouth of a fish. You know what is the other thing? Some of us who think, who want to advise God. What if the fish that has the money is not the one that takes the bait? <laughs> is that not what you do? Yeah. Because I might just throw in and then the, money, the fish that doesn't have the money is not the one. And the one that has the money is the one that's taking Whose problem is it? That's none of my problem. He said I must cast and then the first fish that comes out will have the money. Amen. And we've got to start growing in grace like that. So when he went then to the sea, 
throwing the hook, the, 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 the fish line, waiting there. I'm not sure what others were thinking. Peter, what are you doing? I'm, I'm waiting for my tax money. Tax money? Is somebody going to bring the tax money to you? Do you want to do the raven story here? Where Elijah was brought, the, 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 the meat was brought to Elijah. That happened long ago. It doesn't happen again. No, Jesus says the first fish that I catch will have money for tax. What, Peter? You know better than that. You are a professional fisherman. We catch fish, we sell them and get the money. We don't get money in the mouth of a fish. Now, look at verse 27 of chapter 17. Matthew 17, 27. Jesus says, Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea and cast in a hook and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them. Pay for you and me. Jesus. What if the money is not sufficient for true people? Whose problem is it? He is the master. He said I must just go there. Do whatever he tells you to do. The problem why most of us are struggling. We want to reason things. But when he says do whatever he tells you to do, it means I must learn to depend on God so much so that even when you are here now in church, some of your things, God is sorting them out there. By the way, we say God doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber. So he doesn't only think about you when you think about him. He doesn't only think about your issues when you mention them to him. He knows. And as I'm diligently serving him and loving him with all my heart. He's taking care of it. Amen? Isaiah 45, 15. In the message translation. It says, clearly, you are a God who works behind the scenes. God of Israel, Savior God. So he says, really God, you are a God who works behind the scenes. Even when we can't see it, you are working. By the way, some of you young ladies, you're also waiting for your Mr. Right, isn't it? Amen. And young men, you're waiting for your Miss, Mrs. Right. Amen. Okay? Now, there are two options. Like Abraham had, you could go it the human way or depend on God. And how God does it I don't know, but he knows my address. <laughs> you know, sometimes, can I ask you this question, especially you young ladies? Let's say it's just that the time of letters, it's almost got coming to an end, isn't it? During our times, you had to receive letters from post office. Some of them, if the letter was having an open hole, you must be careful. That one usually. <laughs> It was for death. It needed, needed you to pay something. Usually the friendly ones would come with a handwritten, somebody write the letter to you. Then those ones you should pick. Now, if you were not getting letters, 
Do you say, because I'm not getting letters, then I just take anybody's letter? It's long I've been waiting for letters. Nobody write me letters. Do you do that? Uh-uh. You say, God knows my address. My letter will come at the right time. And God knows how to connect me with my destiny. Can we all say, God knows how to connect me with my destiny? Amen. He is God. Amen. Now, let me try and start winding down for today by going to the book of Zechariah, chapter 4. I want to show you something that when you depend on God, you don't have to do much beside believing. You believe him. You do what he tells you to do. Okay? Now, let me just give you two illustrations. One of it is this one in this verse. So think of a branch, a tree with the branches. If the branch remains on the tree, does it have to make any effort to bear fruit? There is no effort, isn't it? Because it's connected to the source. Okay? Now, that's why Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. Now look at this in the book of Zechariah chapter 4. I want to give you this one because this story blessed me. So the angel was explaining to Zechariah, did you see this? Did you see this? So he saw something like, okay, we don't have the lampstand here. Some of you, if you look at, especially in traditional churches, you will find that they've got, they would have something like a lampstand. So there is a, something in the bottom and then some many lamps connected to that. Okay? Now, Zachariah sees that. But then, so those lampstands, they were connected to the source of oil. Okay? When they were connected to the source of oil, then he says, do you know what this means? Let's read it. Now, I want to show you something very interesting. Zechariah 4, 1 to 10, contemporary English version says, the angel who explained the visions woke me up from what seemed like a sleep. So he was seeing this vision. Now this, what does this mean? Some of you dream, and when you dream, ask God if you think it's a dream from God. What does this mean? If it's a vision, what does this mean? So he says, then he asked me, what do you see? A solid gold lampstand with an oil container above it. So there was an oil container, a golden lampstand, I answered. On the stand there were seven lamps, each with seven flames. Okay? One olive tree is on the right side and another olive tree on the left. So this is what happened. So the olive trees were the source of oil. And that oil was getting into the bowl, the container. And then there were connections between the lamp and the container of oil through the tubes, pipes. Feeding these lamps. Now, I want to ask you a question. So for that lamp to keep on giving light, does it have to access to do any effort? It should just remain connected to the source. So if it cuts the connection, it doesn't matter how hard it may want to work. It cannot give light. 
Okay? But as long as it's connected to the source, it will always give light. So he saw that vision and said, what does this mean? Okay? Verse 6. Then he asked, don't you know? He said, no, sir. I replied. Then the angel explained that it was the following message of the Lord to Zerubbabel. I am the Lord all-powerful. So don't depend on your own power or strength, but on my spirit. So it means that light, that lamp, if it doesn't depend on the oil supply, it was not going to continue to give the light. So he says this vision is telling you not to depend on your own power. We usually like saying not by power nor by might. That's what it means. But by my spirit says the Lord. And there are many cases where you find the spirit of the Lord is equated with the oil. Okay. So he says this what you were seeing. It means don't depend on your own strength or your own power. But on my spirit. Zerubbabel. That mountain in front of you will be leveled to the ground. You see God is coming into the scene now. Huh? Each of you, you might be having a mountain ahead of you. You can't manage that mountain yourself. You need God. So he says that mountain in front of you will be leveled to the ground. Then you will bring out the temple's most important stone and shout. God has been very kind. The Lord spoke to me again and said, Zerubbabel laid the foundation for the temple and he will complete it. Then everyone will know that you were sent by me, the Lord all-powerful. Those who have made fun of this day of small beginnings will celebrate when they see Zerubbabel holding this important stone. These seven lamps represent my eyes, the eyes of the Lord, and they see everything on the earth. Okay? So the Lord is watching over you. The Lord wants things to work out for you. So sometimes we don't even have to put that a human effort. We've got to put the faith effort. Believe God. Pray. Study the word. Spend time in the word. Love people. Do what God wants you to do. Whatever Jesus commands you to do, do it. Amen? So let me conclude reading using the ERV. Zechariah 4, 6 and 7 in the ERV. I think we can land, but then... Um, yeah, looking at the time, I'll just take five more minutes and then we'll land. So let's go to Zechariah 4, 6 and 7 ERV, easy to read version. So the same portion, but if you read it, easy to read. It says, this is the message from the Lord to Zerubbabel. Your help will not come from your own strength and power. No, your help will come from my spirit. This is what the Lord All-Powerful says. That tall mountain will be like a flat place for Zerubbabel. He will build the temple, and when the most important stone is put in place, the people will shout, beautiful, beautiful. Amen. That's how I'm trusting that we are going to build the Lord's house. Not by power, nor by might. We do what we need to do. You do your best. You give whatever you believe is the best for you. And see what God can do. Amen? And when we have built it, people will say, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But we know it's not by power, nor by might. We just trusted God. 
We just believed God. And God is working behind the scene. He's connecting things. You know the problem with depending on people? That's why I don't like that. So because some of you might say, Pastor, if we just go to such and such a party, they can give us money and we can build the church straight away. Do you think there is something for nothing here? <laughs> hmm? Especially when it's from a person. You will owe them. You will be their slave. So we need to be able to say, we are going to build it with our God. And if you want to give, you decided to give. We did not come and ask you for money. We did not come and ask you for donation. So we don't ask for donation to build the Lord's house. We build it. We trust God. Amen. And if God touches you, and you are not in our church, like so far, many people are already starting to join us. Join in. Amen. Because we are trusting God. And it's nicer that way because then you owe nobody anything. You have done it God's way. The problem with relying on people is that you become you come in their pocket. Hmm? They control you. So, if you look at this, when it says your help will not come from strength or power, but it will be by my spirit, it's encouraging us to just trust and believe in God. Amen. It's encouraging us to just believe in God. Now, let's conclude with Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. And then we'll read it with 1 Peter 5, 7. Then I will pack this here. We'll pick it up next time. Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, the message translation. It was the same message that Jesus gave when he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Okay? So Jesus is calling all of us to come to him and rest in him and relax in him and let him be God. Okay? And take charge. He says in the message translation, Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. By the way, Peter was among those people. He says, Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. So when Jesus is inviting even his disciples, he says, we are going to do it the grace way. Okay? We're going to do it the grace way. No toiling. Just relying on God. And can we learn to, try to, 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 to rely on God? Sometimes even something is when something is troubling you. Okay, 1 Peter 5, 7. Let me read this one. 1 Peter 5, 7. Amplified classic. And this is just a confirmation that Peter had learned. In his walk with Jesus, he had learned that it's better to depend on Jesus. And not toil your own way through the problem. So he says, casting the whole of your care. All your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. So he says, cast all your cares on him. Cast all your worries on him. Cast all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. You know that sometimes we like hanging on to our own issues our own worries. And you are spending sleepless nights, you can't sleep, 
because you're thinking of all these things. Okay? You are carrying that heavy load. You were never created to carry loads like that. That's why ultimately you hear somebody has got stress or has got depression and all that. You're trying to carry things that are too heavy for you. Cast all your cares on him. Go to him and say, Father, indeed, I've been stupid to do this and this and this, but I need your mercy. I got into this. I'm already here deep in the mud. I need you to deliver me. I can't deliver myself. Because by the way, sometimes when you are deep in the mud and you try to deliver yourself, you get more deeper in the mud. You go and do even more funny things. And you get even more trapped. Have you ever seen a pig that has fallen in the mud? And when you try to go and help it, does it? I need help. Huh? Does it just give in? I need help. No. It's fighting and it's even thinking you are also part of the problem. <laughs> but it's just getting more deeper and deeper. So sometimes, even when you come, you're coming, say, Pastor, I need you to pray with me. Or uh, I need, uh, can you counsel me? Can you help me with this? Help us. Allow us to help you the God's way. Because sometimes you go to people and say, I need help, but you must do it this way. Now, if you know how to do it, do it yourself. Amen? The fact that you couldn't do it yourself, it means you need help. Like that pig that's in the mud. So if that pig could just know that you are coming to help it, it must just cooperate. Isn't it? Then you will help it out of the mud. But as long as it's still fighting and thinks that it can help itself, it becomes very difficult to help it. Amen. Amen. So as we wind down for today, I just want to make two uh, calls. The first call is for anybody who says, Pastor, I heard what you were saying. I also hear that we get saved by grace and by just believing in God. It's not about our works. It's not about how good I try to be. It's about me giving myself fully to the Lord and allowing him to take full charge of my life. So pastor, if you say just by believing my sins can be forgiven and I can start a new slate, I can also sing mercy rewrote my life. I want you to pray with so if you are there and thus, I think as we're standing up, can we all stand? So if you are there and that's you, I'll ask that when we are going to, can we do that Messi rewrote my life again? Worship team, come to the fore. When we're going to sing this song, Messi rewrote my life, if you are there and you feel that, Pastor, I need prayer. I want to commit my life to the Lord. I want to be given a new start. Whatever I've done, however I have lived, I just want to surrender to the Lord. I just want Jesus to take over. And I want to commit my life to him. 
So if you are there and you need that prayer, I'll pray with you, but I'll ask that you come to the fore and you can stand this side on my left. Okay? When you say mercy, we wrote other people's lives. I want my life also to be directed by God. I want to know that even when I die, Jesus will accept me as his own. I want to, be, to have the assurance that I'm a child of God, I'm saved, I'm born again, my sins are forgiven. And God doesn't ask me many questions when I come to him. So it means you will come to this side on my left next to that projector. The second call I want to make is for those of you who say, I've been toiling and toiling and toiling, Pastor. I've been toiling. I'm a child of God, born again. I used grace to accept Jesus, but I've been living on my own, trying to get things done in my own way. And I'm in the mud. I want him to lift me up from this mighty clay. You know the song, he lifted me up from the deep mighty clay. And he planted my feet on the king's highway. So you say, I'm a child of God, but I'm like in the mud, deep. I need Jesus to help me. I need Jesus to pick me up. So if that's you, then you will come to my right, some of this side. I'm going to offer prayer for those two groups of people. As we do, mercy rewrote my life. The rest of you, we just worship and say, mercy rewrote my life. I've got a new beginning now. Rewrote my 